I was talking to somebody in the congregation this week, and one of the things he said is that he needed to work on thinking in terms of eternity for all of his actions. Okay, that sounded good, and I liked that. It was a good message. So then I had some place to go where I had to sit for an hour. So I took a book. The book I wanted to take, I couldn't find because somebody had put it away where it belonged, and that was the last place I ever expected to look for it. (laughs) So I couldn't find it. So the book I did take was Everyday Holiness, the book that we've used from Rassar. And just by coincidence, which is not a kosher word, I was thumbing through it and said, all right, which one of these character traits do I want to read about? I'm sitting here for an hour, I've got to read about something, which one do I want to read? And so I turned to the last one, which is Yarah, and read that one, and that dovetailed with what my friend had said, and you know, he hit me three or four times, I catch right on. So what I want to talk to you about today is Yarah. The Hebrew word means either fear or awe. It can mean both, depending on context. And if you listen to the Torah portion today, one of the things you'll notice is that the fear of the Lord is all over the Torah portion, as well as the Haftorah, as well as the New Testament reading. So the people were following Yeshua and they were afraid. Samuel calls down rain and thunder on the fields and the people were afraid. The people came near the tent of meeting after Korah and the 230, 250 died, and they were panicked. Anybody who comes near the tent is going to die. So the fear of the Lord is all over today's readings, and in fact it's all over both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the question is, what does that mean? How do you do it? So forth. And that's what I want to talk to you about. The basic fear is fear of being punished. Our normal human reaction, you know, when we are afraid of being punished or afraid of something bad happening to us, we're afraid. That's just the way we're built. The other meaning of that can be awe at God's majesty. And the question is, under what circumstances is which and which one is better and how do you operate with that? I used to listen to this guy years and years ago, enjoyed him very much. He's a Christian preacher, uh, Andrew Womack. Some of you may have heard him. But he had a story that he told, which I have always remembered. He had a dog. This dog is what is now trendily called a rescue dog. You can't just go to the dog pound and get a dog anymore. You now you have to rescue them. So anyway, he had this big dog, monster dog. But whoever had had this dog before had abused it. And the dog was an emotional mess. So every time he called this big dog, this dog would get down on his belly and crawl up to him like he was expecting to be beaten. And finally, Andrew just got tired of this, and the dog's name was Honey. He says, Honey, why can't you just act like a normal dog? And that's the difference between fear of punishment and awe or respect. This dog had been punished and conditioned and every time Andrew talked to him or anybody talked to him, he was expecting he was going to be beaten again. So his behavior was groveling. 
as opposed to, okay, I'm the dog, you're the master, tell me what I'm going to do, I'll go play fetch with you, I'll guard your house, I'll do all the things that a normal dog does, but we still have a relationship where I'm the dog, you're the master. You see the difference between those two attitudes. One of the things that I firmly believe is a problem with most of Christianity is that they treat God what I would call casually. How many times have you heard somebody say, in what you might call a humble brag, I'm just a poor sinner saved by grace, and if all I am is a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord, that's enough for me. You ever heard something like that? The way I would describe that is, my behavior is good enough. The bureaucratic equivalent of that is good enough for government work. You ever heard that phrase? So that attitude is, I'm good enough. In other words, the grace of God will cover for all of my shortcomings and so forth. I'm in the kingdom of God, I'm going to be a servant and a gatekeeper, but I'm in there, and so my behavior on the earth as I live today is good enough. That's what I would call treating God casually. That's what I would call not understanding the awe and majesty of God, because all you want to do is be good enough. You don't want to rise to the level that God hopes you will become. And I will suggest to you that that attitude translates throughout the church. And what it does is it robs people of their potential, first off. And the other thing it does is it robs the church of its power. You've got all these people who are just going through life with good enough. So what I want to talk to you about is, first off, what it means to fear, and then how we get from fear to awe. One other thing before I go to that, the word yorah can mean either fear or awe, extreme respect or terror, and it works for both, and it's often ambiguous in Scripture. Let me give you an example. In Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But that you fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. So in that passage, what does fear mean? Are we talking about awe and respect, or are we talking about terror? And because remember, it, it can be either one. So very often in context, it isn't clear which one is being talked about. Sometimes it is. So, for example, today when the whole nation of Israel is cowering in terror because the fire has come down and a plague has gone out, pretty clear what we're talking about there. But in lots of cases it isn't clear. But the word is just translated as fear. Now, if your attitude toward God is fear as in terror, that end of the spectrum... The way you read the Bible will change. What you will do is you will read the Bible looking for loopholes. I have done that. When I want to do something that I know is just a bit sketchy, what I'll do is I'll read the Bible and see if that's forbidden. 
That's reading the Bible looking for loopholes. You all fess up. Everybody's done it, right? Certainly I have. So what you don't want to be is on the terror end of the spectrum because that really changes your relationship to God. It changes how you read the Bible. It changes your behavior. And it also promotes this attitude of, am I good enough? In other words, have I gotten to the point where I don't have to be terrified anymore and I can go, I'm in, and I can now relax. I'm suggesting you don't want to be on that end. But that end is where everybody starts. Remember I said fear, as in terror, is a natural part of our makeup. God gave us the ability to be afraid for survival. There's a bear. It is totally irrational for you to go up and try and hug the bear. So God gave you fear for a healthy reason. And what Musar does is it takes that, that instinct, if you will, and it tries then to bend it so that that instinct becomes a tool in your hand for getting where you want to be as a believer. In other words, what you do is you start with how you're wired, afraid, and you take that fear and then you work with it and you move toward the other end of the spectrum, which is awe and respect. That's what the whole thing of Musar is. Everybody has these built-in traits and what Musar does is it takes those built-in traits and looks at them and says, is it where you want to be? In other words, are you on the fear end or are you awe end or somewhere in between? And once you figure that out, it then gives you tools to move in the direction you want to go. And as I say, the fear is just one of those. And for those of you who have not been through the Musar business, highly recommend it. We've got books back there that you can use. Periodically, we go through it in Midrush. It's an exceptionally good exercise. So, one of the things that the Bible says over and over and over again, and if you are a Sunday preacher, you probably have counted them up, and I've heard Sunday preachers say that there are 365 of these, one for every day of the year, and that's fear not. I haven't counted them up. I don't know if they're 365. It's a preacher's story, and I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying I've heard it lots of times in sermons. So you've got on the one hand, fear not, and you've got on the other hand, fear God. And by the way, it's the same word. It is not the case that there's two different Hebrew words that are being translated, it's the same word. So on the one hand, you're told fear not, and on the other hand, you're told fear God. So you've got to work through that and navigate it and figure it out. So how do we do that? Well, there's sort of three stages, if you will, that you can move through. You start on the terror end of the spectrum. When you're there, what you're afraid of is punishment. And scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, says God is going to judge your behavior, and if your behavior doesn't match up to what his standards are, there are going to be consequences. So it's perfectly normal to start off on the end of the spectrum where you're afraid of punishment. And in fact, lots and lots of street preachers will you know, go through the repent sinner or you're going to burn in hell. That's operating on that end of the spectrum. 
And that's a valid place to be. But it's not a valid place to stay. I know people that have come in to belief in God because somebody convinced them that after death there was the possibility of punishment. And they didn't want to do that. And that's what brought them in. And as I say, street preachers use it all the time. Nothing particularly wrong with that, but that's not where you want to stay. So the next level, if you will, first is fear of punishment, then the next level up is fear of the loss of reward. That's our friend that we started off with, all I want to be is a gatekeeper in the kingdom of God. When you're operating at that level, you're afraid of not getting everything that God has promised you both in this life and the next. Paul talks about it, that you're going to have jewels and crowns when you go in, but your works are going to be tested by fire. And the only thing that's going to survive is the stuff that's made out of jewels and precious stones. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to get burned up. And so sort of an intermediate level is you're working to ensure that you don't lose out on the stuff that God has promised. Stage two, if you will. First stage is fear of punishment. The second stage is fear of the loss of reward. That's moving up, by the way. The third stage is more interesting. What it is is a fear of sin. And what's that mean? Well, fear of sin is you are looking at your own behavior and your fear is that your behavior is going to fall short of what God hopes that you will be and that you will, for example, cause embarrassment to him. How many people do you know who have turned potential converts off because of their own sin? I've heard people say, I'm not going to go to church, it's full of sinners. Of course, the answer to that is there's always room for one more. But the point is, if you go through life with obvious sin that people can see, what you are is a bad testimony. So fear of sin is, I will suggest, moving up that spectrum to where you want to be. And that's where you're looking at your behavior and you're saying, I don't want to bring embarrassment to God. I'm not really afraid of punishment anymore. Okay, what I'm really afraid of is, am I a good witness? Are people going to look at my life and say, ah, so you profess to be one of these Christians. Tell me about it. I kind of like what I see in you. So you're moving up the spectrum. Let's go to Proverbs, and I'm going to read you three Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 is, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And then Proverbs 28.14 Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then it is possible to harden your heart. Now, Notice that in the first two I read, beginning of knowledge and beginning of wisdom, what fear of the Lord does is it opens a gate for you. It is not the end. So fear of the Lord is the beginning of the path. Remember, it's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. 
So once you have got a proper fear of the Lord, what has happened is your feet are now in front of an open door. But Proverbs 28:14, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And what that's saying is sin will close that door. So fear of the Lord is the beginning, the door to the pathway you want, but sin will close that door for you. That's what Proverbs is saying. And that's why fear of sin starts to become healthy. Because you're looking at the open door, the path that gets you where you want to get, but you are afraid that your behavior is going to close that door on you. So, how do we do this? Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. The word there is... Shaviti. Now, in the Jewish tradition, they have what they call a Shaviti, which is various things that remind you of God. Paintings of sunsets, tapestries, those kinds of things. In fact, it's one of the reasons why when Christendom was really alive and strong, you had these magnificent cathedrals built all over Europe. The idea there is when you go into these magnificent cathedrals, you become in awe of God. That's the purpose of all of the grand buildings and the echoing stone and all of those kinds of things is the idea is to bring you into awe of God. And the people who built those structures were in awe of God. That's why they built them. And they built them to sustain that awe. They built them to always have before them a reminder of the majesty of God. So, the way you move from the terror end of the spectrum to the awe end of the spectrum is you keep before you always reminders of the majesty of God. Now, this is not a cathedral. It's a nice building. Don't get me wrong. I'm not not complaining. It's a nice building. But it is not one of these grand echoing cathedrals where you walk along and your feet on the stone echo and you see these magnificent stained glass windows at the end and all that kind of stuff. This is not that. So how do you do it? Well, one of the things that I do, and this works for me, if it works for you, by all means take it. You can have it. There's two aids to seeing that have been remarkable in the development of humankind. One is the telescope and the other is the microscope. Both of those extend your ability to see beyond what you normally have as a human. And what you find when you look at the telescope, has anybody ever been in the desert? I've lived in the desert. And you go out a little ways and what you have is stars right down to the horizon. And the Milky Way is so bright that you can touch it. It's just awe-inspiring. And what you discover if you look through a telescope is you keep going out and you keep going out and it's still magnificent. No matter how far you go, it is magnificence all the way out to however far it goes, which is the mind of God. So no matter what you do with your telescope, you can see this magnificence and you can see the nebulae and all of those things it's just beautiful and all the way out it's absolutely awe-inspiring a microscope that way you go down 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 smaller and smaller and smaller 
And what you find as you go smaller and smaller and smaller is it is all amazing and wonderful. I was looking at a Miller moth today as I was sitting there eating breakfast. And you all know Miller moths. I go around the house with a vacuum cleaner and <laughs> suck them up off the wall. And we don't think anything of these Miller moths. They're a nuisance. And we suck them up into a vacuum cleaner and we throw them out. But if you think about the control system that allows something that small to fly, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And the deeper you go, the more amazing it is. Think of all the stuff that you have to get an airplane off the ground. Think of how hard that is. All the engineering. And here God has stuffed that into this stupid little disposable moth. And even smaller as a mosquito. And he stuffed that ability into this space that is tinier than the head of a pin. How he do that? So as I look at these things, I am filled with the awe of the being that made all this stuff. So looking at that becomes for me a shviti. It is something that I can put before my eyes and I can be drawn into the majesty and the power of God. And what I'm suggesting to you is you develop the ability to see the world that way. I mean, bugs and mosquitoes happen to do it for me. Stars may do it for you. A tree in blossom may do it for you. It's all over the world. It is in everything. And if you develop the ability to see and appreciate and think about what has gone into the construction of anything that God just finds disposable. You know, as far as I'm concerned, moths and mosquitoes are disposable. Somebody once said, I like this image very much, she was getting out of the car and there was a trail of ants across her garage floor. And she looked down at these things and she says, you know, we don't care enough about these things even to avoid stepping on them. Which is to say, she was going to get out of the car and walk where she was going to go, and it didn't matter how many ants died in the process. She happened to be thinking about it because she was a person of God, and she was thinking about things in the same way that I just described to you. But really, the trail of ants across her garage floor is not something you even avoid stepping on. Yet God has made a control mechanism in these little bugs that enable them to build vast underground cities, that enable them to organize themselves, sometimes in ways we don't like, but still, it's God that has done all that, and I can't imagine how he did it. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about Shviti. We don't have a magnificent cathedral here. This is just sort of a contemporary Christian church in modern architecture style. Nice enough, again, I'm not complaining or throwing rocks, but it isn't particularly inspiring, not like a cathedral, but the moth that flies across the room, that's inspiring. And so what I'm suggesting that you do is reorient the way you look at the world. And what you'll find is opportunities for wonder before your eyes constantly. And that sense of wonder will translate into awe of God as opposed to terror of God. And that's where you want to move to. You don't want to have an attitude in your life that my behavior is good enough. 
good enough for government work, good enough for God. That's not your attitude. Your attitude is awe. And your attitude is fear of closing the door to the path to that awe. That's what fear of sin means, is you don't want to close that door. You want that door to be open, and you want your feet to be walking on the path of knowledge and wisdom. Sin in a hard heart will close that door. So fear of sin is perfectly healthy in that sense. Fear of sin in the case that I'm going to turn into a crispy critter after I die is not where you want to be. Where you want to be is, I don't want that door to ever close. I want to keep moving. I want to keep moving in a direction that God finds pleasing. So, fear of the Lord is commanded all over Scripture. God says, fear me. But the word fear there is ambiguous, mostly. Not always, mostly. So back to our passage in Deuteronomy. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? That's what he requires. What fear means is up to you. You get to decide that. And what I'm suggesting to you is that you decide on the end of the spectrum of awe and worship and don't decide on the end of the spectrum of terror. Don't be like my little dog that grovels on his belly every time the master calls. What you want to do is when the master calls, you want to bound up to him and be ready to play fetch or whatever he's called you to do. That's what you want. But you always, of course, want to understand that he's God and you're not. That's fear. That's a healthy kind of fear. That's a fear that will lead you through life to more abundance as you go. You get to decide. side. 